I'd like to uh, welcome a friend and uh, a colleague, uh, Nick Christensen, who's the deputy editor of the trade news site Mumbrella. Welcome, Nick. Good to be with you, Darren. So, um, look, the reason for wanting to catch up with you is that uh, of in any industry, there's a number of different groups. Um, you know, obviously, we're marketers, procurement uh, agencies, but then the uh, the, the media journalists and, and the trade media, of which uh, you're a, a significant player, uh, all have to actually find ways of working together. And so I thought it'd be great to uh, to have a bit of a chat about, you know, the way people do it well and the way they don't do it well. And I, and I think people are genuinely interested in this area because it's one that confounds a lot of people, whether they're marketers, agencies or, you know, whoever. So, so one of the things I've noticed, Nick, compared to other markets like, say, the UK and the US, is that Australian marketers generally don't seem to appear to be comfortable being in the, tra- you know, in the media. Would you think that's a reasonable uh, observation? Because you've just got back from New York, haven't you? Yeah, I have. And look, I mean, what can I say about the Australian market? I'd say there are a number of people who, are, who love the spotlight and who are very good at cultivating, you know... Oh, thank you. I wasn't referring to you, but, you know, we, we can say that. Look, there, there, there are people like yourself who, who do like the spotlight and who are definitely out there and who have opinions. I think it's about this. I think it's about whether or not people are willing to stake a something in the ground and say, you know, this is what I stand for, this is what my brand represents, and whether that's themselves, their agency, their business. Um, and then there are a whole lot of people who know that the spotlight's important. They know that they have to be out in market, they have to be, you know, projecting themselves. Certainly when we get to things like we do a semi, not an annual book, but maybe every two years we do a book viewing all the agencies and a lot of the bosses at the time, they complain to me going, oh, yes, we've got a great product, we just don't talk about it enough, we're just not very good at selling our brand. And I'm always like, well, hang on, isn't that what you do every day? You sell other people's brands. And what does it mean for marketers when you can't sell your own brand, right? Why would the agency appoint you? And I think there's a direct relationship between people who are doing well commercially, in business, etc., and the people who are actually out there pushing their message. Now, that's not to say there aren't people working quietly aside and, and that, but it, we do work in the professional communications industry. And I think, you know, engaging the media in good times and in bad, because, you know, invariably staff will leave, you'll lose an account. There will be times when you will need us um, in some way, shape or form. And I think it's good to actually have a constructive relationship with the trade press. So what what you're really focusing on from my perspective there is the agencies and the agencies' ability, because, you know, agencies really do need to differentiate themselves and they really struggle with that, don't they? They really struggle with the ability to communicate their brand and their brand benefit. They do, but marketers also struggle with this, so I think we should cover them as well. But if we're just talking about the agency content, construct there is definitely that case it's a very competitive landscape probably too competitive there are probably too many agencies out there and everyone's chasing new business how do you differentiate yourself how do you get on the short list you know um i'm aware that you know i often joke that media and and we're not a priority most days of the week until something bad happens or something good happens and then everyone wants the coverage or doesn't want the coverage depending on the case um but that relationship needs to be constructed over time and you actually need to have a plan around that. Now, that can be engaging a PR professional to help you with your... Um, we'll get on to PR yeah, professionals we'll, later. We'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> but but also just engaging the press in such a way that, you know, 
um, the first time we've spoken to you isn't when you announce a new strategy or a new hire. Like, we want to have constructive relationships. We want to talk. And that can be on or off the record. But we are keen to, you know, always have that relationship with the industry. Because, you know, the more we talk to people, the more we know, the better we are informed to do our jobs. I know, I know that one of the criticisms of the trade press in particular is that we're not informed enough. At the same time, people are reluctant to engage us and they're like, well, we can only report on what we know and if people won't talk to us or if people are scared to talk to us, then it means that the broader trade press is less informed and therefore the industry is less informed. And, and look, that's a good point because a lot of agencies and a lot of agency CEOs say to me, oh, it's so hard to get into the trade press, you know, it's so hard. And, and what should we talk about? You know, because they default to talking about campaigns they've done. And but the, actual fact and themselves. But the, the point you made before is it's about having an opinion on a whole lot of things that are actually happening in the industry as well, isn't it? It's not an opinion. I think it's about standing for something. Right. Um, and people, to come back to your original point, are reluctant to do that because when you stand for something, then suddenly you're contentious and that people might not agree with you and, oh, my goodness, what have I said? And, and there's controversy. Ah, the idea of having 100% of people love you, but in actual fact you end up with 100% of people that don't care about you at all. That's exactly the point. Right, okay. Um, and, and in the end, you can't be loved by everybody and you have to stand for something because if you stand for everything, then you stand for nothing. Yeah. And I think there are sometimes agencies that don't particularly stand for a lot because they are trying to cater to everybody. And in a market where it's so fiercely contested, it's getting really difficult to be in that spot because invariably people don't know what you stand for at all. Mm. And, I, and I'd argue that in this market, that's probably a really dangerous place to be. It's, it's a good example you give there because, you know, there are only a handful of agency CEOs, for instance, that really do stand out. And I think a good measure of that in any market is to be able to name, you know, a handful of CEOs. So, so you know, for the Australian market, I would have to say people like Matt Baxter um, are definitely part of that, you know, they, that he has a, a profile. Yeah. Um, on the marketing side, it, it, are there likewise marketers that stand out? And whether you want to name them or not, but... There are always a few, and I, I know in recent days, someone like Damien Eels, who's been very high profile through a number of roles and, and gone up the chain from David Jones to Westpac to News Corp, and now he's been made managing director. You know, there's a sign of that. Other people like Mark Buckman at Telstra was always very good at cultivating the press and for standing for something and, and clearly enunciating a strategy and then going through and executing it. Now, I understand the reluctance, particularly with marketers, where, you know, I think there's probably a particularly in that community, that, you know, if you stick your head up the parapet, it's likely to get shot off. And, and that is always a risk that, you know, if you stand for something, that people will criticise you and you will get fired for that, you know. Um, people joke about the umbrella common thread going, I don't know what it is. You don't, we don't, as reporters, know what it is to get criticised. I too, I get criticised on a daily basis. I got criticised in my own appointment story. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the industry is not always nice and I do recognise that. But what I'd say about that is, you know, invariably you need to engage because there are going to be times when you can't or probably the easiest way to describe it is that a vacuum gets filled, whether or not you choose it's a to good enter point. it. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. Um, so, so therefore, you should seek to define that vacuum itself, lest your competitors or lest the market choose to define it for you. So for a marketer, it's about uh, actually managing their own personal brand. And, and the ones that you mentioned actually have very strong brands, you know? They do. And I think, you know, as a marketing professional, you're there spending your entire waking life building your, your, your company's brand. 
And if you don't, you know, I, I presume you work for that company, those values align and you're passionate about what you do and you're working very hard and your team's working very hard. I'd actually argue that for the chief, chief marketers, et cetera, they should be out there promoting what their team is doing and showing that to, to a certain light. Not because, you know, they want to grandize for themselves. There are lots of marketers who are very humble about these things and it's not about them personally. I think it should be about them communicating to the industry so that they can learn um, from others and that others can learn from them about what's actually being done in the industry. We should be celebrating the good work. Yeah, I, th- I think... it to be drawn out. Now, I understand mm-hmm. parts of strategy you're not going to talk about. Mm-hmm. You're not necessarily going to show the enti- how the entire cake is made. I totally get that. But at the same time, there are ways of, you know, showing what's being done uh, and drawing it out to the next level. And I think that's constructive for all. So it is important for marketers and agencies to be able to build their brand presence, their brand through uh, engaging with um, journalists like yourself and, and across any marketplace. But uh, what what is the best way? Because, you know, you see so many disasters. So how should people approach a journalist in their uh, category? Look, I, I think there's a couple of things I'd suggest. The first is to, you know, just get across the trade press and make sure you're reading it. Um, there are people who, who read us, and you know, with in Australia, Mobrella is certainly the largest of the media and marketing websites. Um, and I think we're probably read by most people, um, catering across agencies and you know, um, marketers, etc. Um, but what I'd argue is, people are looking for coverage. They should read all of the titles and figure out, you know, who's interested in the areas they're interested in, who writes about things that are actually you know relevant to their area, and you know, pick up the phone, introduce themselves. It's really not hard, um, you know. Choose your time, and I would I would say don't call at lunchtime when we're really busy. But you know, pick up the phone, shoot an email, go for a coffee. My God, Nick, are you suggesting that journalists are human beings? Uh, <laughs> despite the perception, it's entirely possible that most of us are. You know, the guys from our news. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, no. Look, to be fair, like Rosie and Co. My rivals, they're our fierce rivals. But you know, I'm actually good friends with Rosie, um, the editor. Um, you know, I think you've actually got to. There's a fear there, and I get it, right? People are concerned about being misquoted, or they say one thing. But you've got to recognise, you know, I spend most of my time off the record. And, I don't, and, and for those who don't really familiarise themselves with how journalists work, you know, we're, when there's a time we're on the record, and you know, I'm doing an interview with you, and I'm, I'm and I will quote you, and we've agreed on that. Most of the time, I'm not looking for the headline and, and to catch someone off guard. I'm looking to actually engage in a constructive conversation and to learn more about the industry. As I said, the more I know, the better my commentary is, the better I can play a role in the industry, whether that's writing about, you know, today it was media palooza and all the global pictures that are happening around the world and what that means for this market of $12 billion. Well, it's giving context, isn't it, of a global issue to a local market, yeah? Um, our readers are better off when we can provide constructive constructive criticism or constructive feedback about what's going on in the industry. That's what that's what we try and do every day. Yes, we're looking for news story. Yes, there are times when we're looking for hits and, you know, I, I just came from the office and we were writing about a, a, a silly, an amusing press release that was for our diary mumbo section that was about a guy who'd been appointed and it was for a financial company and his name was James Bond and, you know, <laughs> all, all of those sorts of things. So, you know, sometimes, you know, like any media outlet, and I've worked for, you know, the Australian and the Daily Telegraph, which are national publications here and I've worked for Mumbrella now and you know there are differences of approach and of editorial style and all of that but at the same time if you look at um, across the media and you say okay look you know we're X brand let's say we're X agency and we're trying to get you know this you day to day you're not going to be announced you're not going to be able to announce a new business win every day 
what you can do is take three steps back and go, okay, what do we stand for? We have our missions. You know, agencies spend a lot of time building their culture, building their oh, culture, all that, that stuff. That's an assumption that they know that in the first place, okay? So the first thing is they have to have something to talk about, don't they? You would hope they do, <laughs> right? Yeah, but the first assumption you just made is that they have something to talk about because my experience is the vast majority of agencies do not have something to talk about because of the point you made before, which is as soon as they stand for something, someone could stand against them. Yes. Okay? So that is the first point. If you're going to, you know, because a lot of people see the journalist as the bull, and if you're going to engage the bull without getting the horns, you need to give them something that they want to talk about, don't you? Well, look. Because otherwise you'll find it. I, I really or or ignore it. Well, ignore it is often the case. You know, I, I get somewhere between 500 and 1,000 emails a, day, a week. Um, at least 20% of them would be pictures that are just poorly constructed, poorly defined, and not at all relevant, or they're out of date. Or you know, People really do struggle with this. And I get it, right, because they've never worked in, in, in my space. What I'd come back to is a couple of things. If you're looking to define... Sometimes the best thing to do is not to talk about yourself, right? Because you find yourself the most interesting thing in the world. The rest of the world, not so much. But if you're working in this industry, I imagine you read the newspapers. I imagine your clients have issues. I imagine that there are a number of things that you could take an opinion on that aren't necessarily going to be wildly controversial, but could be relevant to a broader market, right? If you're looking for coverage or profile and you want to, say, appear in our opinion section, I know, well, one of our first rules is you have to take an opinion that's meaningful and that is relevant to a broader readership, right? Because our newsletter goes out to close to 40,000 people every day. We want it to be relevant to anyone who and interesting and interesting and relevant and, and, and relevant to people outside of, you know, social media managers or that very particular niche that you're in. Um, you know, what we want is that the chief marketer and the PR professional, who 22, can both draw some insight out of that piece. Um, the second rule I'd say is don't sell. And by that I mean I don't sell, don't sell, don't sell. People pitch us all the time and it's always about how the, the industry has this problem and my product is the solution. Yeah. Um, and that's <laughs> And the problem is actually created by them to actually solve, uh, to be aligned to the solution we say no they've to come it. up with. We say no to it every day mm-hmm. and it's a deep frustration because people think that's what they should be presenting in opinion and look, maybe other people want to run that on their websites. Our view is very much that it's not constructive. People absolutely hate it and we yeah, have very clear rules about thank you but no. What we do look for is, you know, let's say um, there's been a latest sports kerfuffle or something like that and if you're in, in, in the communication space and you have a, and you can take a news headline and you can make it relevant and you can turn it round, around quickly this is, the, this is the tricky thing people will go oh that's a great story and then they'll take two weeks to write it it's got to be done within 24 hours to be current with the news cycle but there's lots of opportunities for people be they marketers agencies etc to engage with that and go actually that is interesting. I can draw an insight out of that and I'll write about it and I'll take a point of view. But it's not necessarily about them or their business, mm. but it's an interesting perspective on that and it might en- engage debate. Look, the best pieces of opinion are where, where someone comes out with one opinion and someone else writes an opposing opinion and then the two ideas meet. That's the contest of ideas and we're in, we're in an ideas industry. Absolutely. I don't think we should be afraid of that. Yeah, but, but I think uh, going back to uh, this concept of it means taking a stand or having an opinion. Yeah, and if you're wanting to be everything to everyone, it's very hard to have the opinion that everyone buys 
and it's the same time be newsworthy or be engaging, isn't it? I mean, if, if someone came to you and just said, told you exactly how the industry was and there was general consensus about that, where's the, where's the news? Because I've got a question for you. you you're touching on the, what is the purpose of having uh, journalists writing about marketing, advertising and media? Because... I know many people think that you should be the cheerleaders of the industry and just basically be publishing the press releases and the puff pieces. So what is your, what is your purpose? Okay, I, I, I would know that there are some in the industry who do that um, and that's not to criticise, you know, that's their approach and they're welcome to it. Um, certainly with Mumbrella, no, it's not our approach. Um, I would argue that, yes, we'd like to celebrate the industry when the industry does well and there are times when the industry wants slash requires us to hold them to account because if we don't do it, no one else will. Right? The unique position as the fourth estate that we find ourselves in is that we are the ones who can hold people to account and, you know, readers who are interested can go look at some of the stuff Umbrella's done this year. I think we've held the industry to account and done so in a beneficial way. Um, that doesn't make us that friends. Um, often and sometimes that makes us enemies and I'm okay with that because sometimes the industry needs that. Is that scary for people who are going, should I be engaging with the press? How should, can I do it? Those guys have just run my press releases, holus bolus. I spent some time working in Singapore last year for our Asian site, and I'd have people ring, because they'd send in the release, and in Asia, people, a lot of the trade sites just publish the releases, holus bolus, and, you know, I do what I do every day, which is add value, provide insight, pre-work it. You're bearing the thing you don't want anyone to notice, so I'll move that up because that's actually the newsworthy thing and you get people calling you up and going, could you change it back to how we wrote it? I'm like, no, I can't because I'm a journalist. I've worked in the profession for six or seven years. You know, I respect my profession and I'll cover the news as I see fit. That's not to say I won't engage with people, but it's that we, I'm not there to cheerlead. I'm there to hold people to account and to tell the story as it is for the interests of the whole community, right? We represent, you know, I'm very passionate about, in Australia, a $12 billion industry. I think this industry does a lot of good and... And it's, it's important, right? It's a key part of the economy. But if we're not asking the questions that no one wants to talk about or we're not driving a debate around, say, transparency that is really hard for anyone else to lead except for us, then that debate falls away and that's dangerous. Mm. Absolutely. But uh, you know, in that context, though, I mean, it means that you will, as you say, promote the positive but you'll call people to account in the negative, yeah? I think that's exactly the case. Um, Two years ago, I wrote a piece about what your media agency is not telling you. It was in first-person hypothetical, wasn't drawing anyone to account as such, but was driving a whole industry-wide discussion. And you saw the fact that everyone picked up and went, oh, great, we can't talk about this, but look, someone wrote the whole thing and took people through it. And for clients, you know, it's a really powerful piece for them to kind of go, oh, here are the questions I need to be asking of my agency and then a year later we wrote the reverse of what your market is not telling you and you know again it was helpful for agencies going if, if the market is like this and the procurement department is doing this and the you know the whole thing is shambolic should we be participating in the pitch those discussions are really important but at the same time it requires us to be controversial and that means at times we're not going to be everyone's favorite that's right and, and so your role is not to be the cheer squad i think it's to be the cheer squad when there's things to cheer and it's also to be the taskmaster when there are tasks that need to be done. Now, one of the issues, obviously, very close to my heart is the whole idea of co um, confidentiality, yeah. okay? And uh, the there reason being... You can't tell me. And, and that annoys me very much. 
Well, there's I sign, you know, literally hundreds of confidentiality agreements every year uh, because we are dealing with clients that are undertaking, you know, commercially sensitive information. Invariably, at some point, the story will break. And, you hopefully know, in umbrella. Yeah, hopefully, you know, for you, hopefully in umbrella. For our clients, hopefully they hope it doesn't break at all. Mm. Um, but then there's invariably this witch hunt about who actually broke it. Now, uh, I, I wouldn't mind, you know, from your perspective, obviously confidentiality agreements and non-disclosure agreements work against you doing this. But, um, you know, a lawyer said to me that you, you literally, to enforce those, will pay you know, anywhere from fifty dollars to $150,000 mm. to take that to court. What do you see, from your perspective, is the role of you know, commercially in confidence information? Look, it's definitely a challenge, right? And I do understand, particularly for marketers, they're working through a process and they don't want that out there. At the same time, there's huge interest, particularly with the larger pictures. You know, a big part of my job is to be watching what the market's doing and reporting on the big pictures because they do have implications for the client and for the other clients around them. You know, if, if, if something like, you know, a major supermarket chain, a couple hundred million dollar account is pitching, that has implications for the wider market for and for any client who's on an agency on that shortlist. So there's huge interest from the industry. Um, and yes, invariably with anything over about $2 million, someone somewhere will know someone who will mention it over a bar or whatever and it gets back to us or one of our rivals. And it's just the nature of the environment is it's a gossipy industry. You know, look at the people playing in it. Um, no one gets into advertising because they love spreadsheets. They get into advertising because they're, you know, talkative, engaging people and they like human beings and they talk. Um, and so stuff leaks all the time. I joke that a lot of my job is getting people um, to tell me things they shouldn't. Mm. Um, that is invariably a part of my job because things that people, you know, it's, it's that old maxim about, you know, anything someone doesn't want you to know is news, right? <laughs> and, and, and so invariably pictures in particular are newsworthy because people don't want them to know. Now, you know, I always tell marketers, look, frankly, press release the damn pitch yourself early on. Ah, so, okay. So that piece of advice... Press release the pitch early on. Well, yeah, exclusively to me, please. Okay, but, you know, that's up to them. <laughs> it, it takes the sting out of it because we have – this is a conversation we have a lot with marketers and especially with corporate affairs. Mm. And they believe that saying nothing – will actually make the story go away. That actually by sending out a press release creates the story or making comment if the story breaks will will actually feed the story. Can you explain why that's not true? I think you have to bear in mind that, you know, you and I can keep a secret. I can tell you something and, if you, you know, I haven't told anyone. If it gets out, you must have told anyone. Pictures aren't like that. Pictures involve 5, 10, 20 people. They might put up a sign in the agency going, Welcome X. Suddenly everyone who's walked through that pitch door, door knows that, you know, and a pitch of $20, 30000000 million broke a couple of months ago because the agency put the sign up and someone else came through and called us, right? Mm. It's really easy for that stuff to happen. 50 to 100 people, which is invariably who know about a pitch, cannot hold a secret. They just cannot do it. Mm. Now... In that environment, does it feed the pitch? There are, way, there are ways and how, and, you know, there was a very high-profile um, pitch for a major retailer last year that 
you know, the, every stage of the process got out there, but there were hundreds of million dollars at stake. And I'd argue that, you know, there was no way that was not going to happen because of... The so the bigger the prize, the bigger the, the, the game, the more no, likely no, no someone one, will talk about it. No one comes rushing to us with a half a million dollar pitch. Anytime it's over a couple of million dollars, then it's likely to leak. Once you're into the tens of millions of dollars, invariably it leaks and you have very little control so, over that. So, so a number of, in, in 15 years experience, uh, and I wouldn't mind your feedback on this, uh, the main leaks come from, there was a very well-known uh, agency CEO who, if his current client was putting them to pitch, would leak the story early, hoping to embarrass them so that they wouldn't do it. Another one was uh, the agency uh, salespeople, the media salespeople that go around, pick up a huge amount of stuff just by walking through the office. The third one, which is the most interesting for me, is junior marketers that will often use it to carry favour, especially with uh, their agency friends, will often talk about pitches. And then the, the fourth one, which is the most interesting, is um, that often the, uh, the incumbent will know about it and start making action well before anyone else, and that's actually where it leaks from. Yeah, and this is one of the few areas that I can't comment on because I'll never confirm thoughts. But what I can say is that you'd be surprised whose brothers, sisters, cousin ran into whoever and that these things don't hold, that the industry talks and whether it's media vendors or whoever, things get around mm. and you have to recognise that you can't control the information flow coming out. What you can do is decide how much of it you release when and if you're proactive about it, then it's a lot less sexy. I well, it's no longer a secret. I shouldn't be saying this because, yeah, exactly the case, right? If there's a press release announcing it's the first thing there and it's got the bloody shortlist, then my care factor disappears until there's a decision. Mm. If... If there is a multitude of factors and the pitch changes, a lot of this is, you know, and now I'm speaking, sp spooning you, you business, but a lot of it's also around if the pitch is managed well, right? You know, the, the sexy pitches are often the ones that are run by clients themselves and they have no idea what they're doing and they're back and forwards and they're so-and-so's on the list and then they're off the, you know. It's when the process is badly run that, you know, I end up with lots of fodder because things go wrong and that becomes newsworthy and that's a marketer's nightmare and I get that. And there's complaints because people don't like the fact, and but they feel disempowered to actually say anything, especially if they're the agency. In and when things go wrong, we hear about it, right? So if your agencies are suddenly complaining about, I don't know, having to work on a pitch over Easter, you can guarantee, you know, if you call a pitch before Easter, you can guarantee that by the time, within three days of you putting down the phone and ruining everyone's holiday break, I'll have heard about it and I will write about it because that's my job. Hmm. My job is, in that instance, to call clients to account. I, I noticed you picked Easter and not Christmas because <laughs> you've already gone on holidays by the time the pitch has landed on the agency to work over Christmas, New Year. <laughs> so there you go, people. If you're going to pull that sort of stunt, you need to send the brief out just before Christmas because all of the trade journalists are actually on holidays. That's a complete lie. And if you call a pitch <laughs> on Christmas Eve, I will write about it. <laughs> now, look, this is it, it's really interesting from my point of view because... Um, I've seen in markets, and, and especially in Asia, because of culture, um, the the role of the industry journalists uh, is really just to re uh, to report what people want them to report. Now, I know um, Umbrella in Asia and probably challenging that a little bit, 
But um, I, I wouldn't mind, and I'm not asking you to champion your existence or justify your existence, but um, I've heard quite a lot of criticism about the role of holding people to account, okay? What, what, are some, what are some of the positives that come out of that? Have you, I mean, you've been doing this for three, uh, yeah, so specifically in marketing at Mumbrella for how many years? Three years at Mumbrella and another two years at the Australian before that. So I've done various roles. I've done something for a national title where, you know, you only do the big stories and a pitch wouldn't really register. Um, I did, you know, a, a very big investigation around transparency into one of the big holding groups here that, you know, got picked up by all of the nationals and, you know, really did drive an industry-wide debate this year. And I guess I have to cite that as an example of where, you know, I think we did a real positive for the industry because we took, we held people to account and said, you know what, the practices going on here are both, and, and they're acknowledged by the parties involved to be unethical and possibly unlawful. And I think everyone benefits from having that exposed. You know, clients were being, you know, given incorrect information at a minimum. Um, in some instances, they were being charged for inventory that rightfully belonged to them or that was refunded. Um, and, you know, there was a real industry-wide debate about, have we gone too far? That's a real positive. Um, if we take it to other contexts, you know, I think it's important, you know, for clients to know who's doing well and who's doing who's not doing well. And, you know, I, that has to be judged by the market, but we are an important voice in informing that debate, right? Otherwise, how do you know who to put on a shortlist? You know, the industry looks to us to lead that. The industry also looks to us to lead... The discussion around new innovation, you know, there are a lot of marketers still getting their heads around what does programmatic mean. A lot of our um, stuff is about educating people on what's next or what's happening or what does this trend mean or, you know, I sometimes joke that a lot of my job is to chart the decline of traditional media while, um, you know, also writing about what new media comes through and that's why I spent three weeks in New York. I spent a lot of time at the digital new fronts, looking at, you know, all of these global players who are going to completely redefine how the media landscape works. And then I spent time with the newspaper industry at the World Congress of Newspapers, which happened to be on there, which was all about the newspapers going, are we going to be around in five years? And how do we pull the right levers to still have an audience? And, you know, that's really valuable for the media agencies, for the marketers, etc. Now, in that discussion, I'm holding the newspapers to account because I'm going... Is your revenue going to come up faster than your advertising? You know, these are really mm. important questions and no one has the answers. And, and business questions as well as industry important questions as well. We try to ride across the spectrum. Um, again, I'm championing Umbrella here, but, you know, we have the largest audience in the market, I would argue, and therefore, you know, we write across things. And sometimes that means I can't get into the minutia of programmatic, for example. But I try to cater to everyone from the chief marketing officer right down to the 22-year-old PR executives just come out of uni. But the industry needs that voice and it needs somewhere to turn to. And, you know, I, I see us as that. Our competitors would argue they do the same thing and are trying to, you know, it's in, it's a media revolution and that impacts everybody. Someone has to play a role in educating the industry because otherwise we're all worse off for it. Mm. Well, look, this has been a great conversation. Thank you. Um, you know, obviously, uh, some great points around the importance of building personal brand and, and how to do that through uh, by working with a journalist, you know, actually engaging with them, um, uh, around the role uh, that the industry journalists have in actually helping the industry get better at what it does. Uh, and also, um, uh, the, the third point was really around, you know, 
confidentiality in today's world doesn't exist when there's lots of people and the price is really big. And I love to quote about any secret is a great news story. So, you know, as soon as you've got a secret, expect it to uh, to appear somewhere, probably most likely in Mumbrella. Um, look, thanks, Nick, very much. And um, look, um, we're off the record now. Did you hear about the... <laughs>